You're listening to the World Football Program with all the latest updates from both local and international football. Good morning, WA. This is the World Football Programme. I'm Sean Kelly and I'll be with you for the next two hours. Thank you to Frank and Jerry for another wonderful song from Isle Programme or um, Celtic Ramblings, I think it is now. Um, always good to come in. Those boys are on air. Um, in the studio with me is the gifted social player. <laughs> you've gifted penalties, you've gifted free kicks, mate. I have, you I know. gifted own goals, I've gifted everything. Yeah. Um, so we've got... Peter Skeeler joining us in the morning. Good morning, Pete. Morning. How you doing? Yeah, good, mate. Yeah, um, nice day out there. Beautiful nice. day out it's there, fantastic. actually. Um, we've got uh, two hours before Lenny and the Jazz show, so we'll fill that with um, a few people. So we're going to start with Ori Collie from Basie. Very different year for Basie this year, um, but uh, the future is looking bright and rosy, and we're talking national second division as well with Ori Collie. So yeah, I'd like to hear what he's got to say about that. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Um, then we're going to talk to Ryan Lelligan, who is a new kid on the block at Football West. Um, clubs and participation. We'll find out what that is all about and a bit about Ryan along the way. Uh, and then we've got Derek Pollock, who is our man in the know with all things EPL. Some really interesting results last week. Yeah. And um, some of the managers that were look safe don't look safe, and some of them <laughs> didn't look safe look safe. So, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. I know it's a, an international breakout in the UK, but. Um, We'll still talk about the EPL. And then we're going to finish off with the State League Standing Committee Chair, Phil Kelly. They had a meeting this week. Um, and uh, I think, you know, the clubs are all preparing for next season. Interesting because we still don't know what next season's going to look like. A lot of doubt out there and, and club land's hurting. So I suppose the two conversations, the one with Ryan and the one with Phil, will both um, give us an idea of where we're headed. Because whilst I think the, the grassroots clubs that... Register kids, play kids, 
and that's all they do. Their, their overheads are pretty much set. Their fees are pretty well um, settled. Yep. But for um, MPL Division One, Division Two clubs, they, they pay big premiums to Football West for the same. I mean, the same registration fee for a social side. <laughs> exactly the same thing. A fixture list and yep. a referee. Um, yeah, and we'll talk about that and the costs involved. But then you've got the cost of playing players, the cost of playing coaches. Um, and I know lots of talk on the internet about um, clubs charging horrendous money for kids to play yep. so they can pay their, their players. I honestly don't know of any club where that is actually the case. Most of them, they're paying it to, to pay the coaches yep. that are yep. accredited um, and, you know, these guys have spent thousands of their own money to get accredited. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But very few people are making money out of children. Um, so we're going to some news. Um, I see former Glory player um, Harold has uh, given yes. up the game. He's yep. fed He's up with the transfers and all the uh, the wage negotiations and... Yeah, so so he went over to Central Coast. He had uh, four games there. Uh, sorry, six games there. And... Um, and now he's hung up the boots. So I was saying to you before, I had the feeling he had announced a retirement a year or two ago and sort of got talked out of it or whatnot. But he, he also, in his, his last season with the glory, didn't have a lot of appearances. No, either, he's made some commentary about his relationship with Popper and how that didn't work out for him. Yeah. So, look, fair enough. The, the lad's giving it a go. He's, he's a lawyer, so it's not like he's only got football, un, yep. unlike Jake Brimmer, who only has football. That's right. Who's gone to um, victory. Melbourne Victory yeah. for, for family reasons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, and, and I didn't know that he had family on the backs of dollar coins <laughs> and five dollar notes. But there you go. Uh, it's kind of sad to see uh, Jake Brimmer go because he'd um, he was since, starting to come since good. the COVID yeah. time. He really uh, had improved in in my mind. Before then, he'd be on the pitch and I sort of wouldn't notice him. Yeah, to be honest. Um, whereas. Certainly, in the post-COVID games, watching well, him post Castro games, as I call them, <laughs> post Castro, yeah, well, yeah. both, um, <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he'd certainly stepped up and, and was an impressive player. So, um, yeah, uh, just going back to Chris Harold um, with my stats, which I'll readily, you know, put the asterisk beside them and say it's only since the start of the A League, so yeah. no NSL stuff in there. He, he's equal with Josh Risden for appearances for the Glory on 153. That's across all tournaments. So that's including the. Um, the FFA Cup and yep. whatnot, and also fifth on our all-time goal scorers table um, with 24 goals. So, um, yeah, it's sad to see him hang up the boots. I was, I was always happy to see him play. Yeah, absolutely. He's a very, very quick player as well, yep. fast feet on him. And, uh, yeah, I don't think he got a fair run, particularly once um, Popper took over. But, yeah. you know, yeah. Popper don't <laughs> preach. <laughs> <laughs> And um, Asian Champions League's set to, to restart in a Doha, Doha hub in uh, Qatar. That's right. Um, be interesting because the Glory's only got 12 players. I was going to say, we just need a team now. All we really need is a gifted social player with a pair of boots <laughs> and a, an Asian Champions League Glory shirt. And, and a passport, you know. And, and, and yes, you've got all? I've got all those things. I've got Sage's number if you want it. <laughs> I'll tell him you're available. Look, yeah, I don't think anyone would doubt my commitment, but... Yeah, I, I don't think I would stand up to, um, you know. I, I tend to get tired on the, the walk out to the pitch at times. So. Yeah, but that's all you'd have to do. <laughs> yeah, and you could be carried back on a stretcher or something, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you don't have, actually have to play. They just have to have 13 registered players 
I mean, oh, was, so I could even sit on the bench and just, you know, just sit there, just do nothing. I just, could even give uh, live updates to the world football program. So, you know, you see the players sitting there. I could be yeah, on my phone and you absolutely, know. you could be, mate. No, I think it's all right. Uh, I think you're onto an idea. I'm there. onto you're an, an idea ideas, there, man, yeah. exactly. And and you know, the, there are some issues around this hub, though. I mean, obviously, the players are going to have to leave. I think their first game is on November the 18th. So that's yep. what five weeks to get trained and yep. fit and ready, or in the case of Glory. To sign Sorry. at least two or three <laughs> decent players. Then on top of that, the players may or may not want to go. Yeah. Because if you're in Doha for that time, there's a fair chance you're going to spend Christmas in quarantine. Yep. So is that something that the, the players want to do? And, and the costs are astronomical. Again, I think it's going to cost Glory about a hundred grand mm. to isolate the players when they come back. So, yep. um, you know, people, Complained about um, Sage and what he does, but you know he funds all that, and yeah. he did for the Sydney one as well. So, and and I guess the other the other downside is, of course, if they get through, yep. Um, again, that that's still longer away from the players' perspective, longer away from home. Um, we had the same issue with the the COVID hub for the end of the A League. You know, yeah. on one hand, you know, obviously your team you want your team to do well and progress through the finals and and everything. On the other hand, I'm sure it sits in the back of their mind yeah. going. You know, I'm not. I'm not in any way suggesting that anyone would would act on this, but you sort yeah. of think if we get eliminated, I get to go home. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and now I suppose the other thing is that we've we've just finished our NPL season. Mm-hmm. That the Glory Youth didn't do too badly. It's a yeah. couple of players there that probably could chance to step, step up. up and yeah. borrow the shirt and boots off you. So, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the, there's all those things that are in the background. Um, I also see or read somewhere the FFA are looking at futsal. Um, futsal's always existed outside of the FFA umbrella. Yep. Um, but there are some rogue um, operators out there with with futsal, um, and I think they they're just trying to bring that back in because there was a number of people who paid to go to international tournaments with futsal uh, businesses, yeah, who didn't get refunds. Okay. okay, so there's lots of people complaining about it, and there is no regulation. There is nobody they can go to other than the private business they were dealing with. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I, and um, at some stage, we'll, we'll talk to our one of our sponsors in West Coast Futsal because I think you know they're they're decent guys. They've done the right thing, but yeah. I think they they wouldn't be worried about having a regulatory body sitting above them. I I have a feeling the FFA did used to run futsal they and did. they they gave it away just they lost interest cost, cost yeah, cutting absolutely and whatnot. They did, yeah, yeah. So, and that was that was about I'm going to say about ten years ago, but I could yeah. be way off base there. Yeah, um, absolutely. But look, it, it's good. It bring again the the game should be. Managed and moderated, yep. and I think having them sitting over the FFA sitting over the top is not a bad thing. And if it rules out the rogue operators, then yep. you know all good. And then those people are actually representing Australia proper, yeah, rather than just you As know. Mostly, you've paid your money. You're on the team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so we'll see how we go. All right, we're going to go to some messages. We'll be back after these with Ori Colley, and uh, we'll talk to him about. Um, what's going on out there at Bayswater now and in the future. So we'll be back after these. Oh, give me land, lots of land under starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Oswest Fencing and Royal Triant. Are you looking to build or replace your gates or fencing? 
The Oswest team can offer four generations of advice, materials and kit assemblies for your unique fence and gate project. We specialise in colour bond, aluminium, steel and timber gates. Check out our galleries at oswestfencing.com.au That's A-U-S-W-E-S-T fencing.com.au Please West Coast Futsal Association has social competitions at Hollywood Futsal Club in West Perth and the Mount Lawley Futsal Club. Competitions are open for new players looking for a kick around with mates from Monday to Friday. For those looking at high level futsal, there is the Junior Leagues in Karanjak on weekends and the Male and Female Superliga competitions based in Subiaco. For more information, contact Brittany on 0481 881343. All right, Pete, before we get to our next guest, there were some finals held last night in uh, Division 2. There was. So uh, in Division 2 in the State League finals uh, last night in the the adult, what do you call it, the men's, the the full, yeah. the, the, the non-juniors, uh, Camro- uh, uh, Caramar Shamrock Rovers um, against Dianella White Eagles. That finished 3-1 to Caramar. So uh, nice for them to get the double with the, yeah. the league and the cup title. Uh, in the um, in the resis, it was Kingsley Westside against Murdoch University Melville, which I'm frantically looking through the report, and I think that was a one penalty, all, a one, one all, and a penalty yep. shootout win to uh, Kingsley. And in the under 18s, it was Morley Windmills against Wanneroo City. So it's good to see a spread of the clubs yep. getting through to the finals as well. And I can't see the result for that one anyway. Okay, no worries. Um, all fresh from last night, so yeah, probably. A- having a job updating it. Um, Joining us now is someone who's normally very, very involved in in finals. I think you've only got one team playing this weekend, but uh, welcome to Ori Collie. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, good morning, Sean and Peter. How are you? Good. Um, A very, very different... We've we've actually got two. We've got the 18s and the 20s tomorrow. Marvellous. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully we'll do okay. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good to have those two sides in there. I mean, both of those sides were were in the top three in their respective leagues. So you know, you they've obviously been uh, performing well. Your, your first team, not quite so. What we're used to with with Bayswater is COVID had a lot to do with that. Uh, it's been a well, it's been a funny year to say the least. I think a lot of people would be telling you that. Um, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, very difficult, very difficult given um, the circumstances on. Uh, I suppose crowds back back when we initially started to come back and there was a lot of uncertainty in regards to um, revenue and what would be happening there, um, sponsorship, so on and so forth. So there was you know, wage cuts, I think, across the board. Most clubs uh, had some reductions. That has, a, has an effect of us interrupted. We had, we had really two or three pre-seasons along the way. Yep. Mentally draining for the players, the coaches, the club. But it is what it is. Don't you? At the end of the day, the, the best team won uh, on a day so you finish top. There's no complaints. It is what it is. So you've got to learn from it. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, look, you look at the, the pre-season was a fairly long pre-season. You got to the the first game of the season, played the first season, and everything just shut up shop for three months. And then Correct. three weeks, 
we're, we're now going to play a, se- a modified season within three weeks. So, yeah, the, I mean, for coaching staff and, and everyone else, that was, was mental. But I also know from behind the scenes, um, for a, a person like yourself, you had to set up COVID plans. You had to try and then re- reinvigorate your um, your volunteers and, and people like that. You had um, people who were immunosuppressed as volunteers who couldn't come and volunteer. You, you had to make all of that happen in a very short space of time. Some of those volunteers had, had been laid off work. Some of your sponsors had lost their businesses. Um, and that's across the board for all clubs, not just yourselves. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, of course. So, yeah, it was a... It's a it's a real mess, and one of my concerns for clubs, and particularly the clubs that have got larger expenditure, like state league and NPL clubs, is that this COVID hangover is going to last for for two to three years. So um, uh, clubs like yourself, very well sponsored and, and very well supported, but you would be feeling the pain as as much as anyone else. Oh, um, yeah. Going back on on the shutdown, I mean, uh, Jerry, our president. Uh told me that it was probably the best time. He had, he had uh, two or three months off the club. He hasn't had in 40 years. <laughs> yeah, so. true. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was quite happy. But, yeah, listen, getting back to, to sponsors and finances, yeah, I think uh, as in any business, uh, we'll feel the effects next year and possibly the year after. We're not sure what the future holds in regards to sponsors and how their businesses have fared during this COVID period. I mean, uh, some industries have kept on going. The building industry obviously doing well, mining industry doing well. Um, so we're quite lucky and fortunate that a lot of our, our sponsors are in that area. So um, we're hoping that uh, we'll be largely unaffected, but minimise impact. But listen, I think for all clubs, it's going to be a real testing time going forward. One yeah. that we're going to need to be very mindful of, of uh, how we go about our business to ensure that we're here for the long run. Absolutely. And then the support that we can get through Football West and through local government. And I think, you know, most clubs have got a good relationship with their local government now and, um, you know, that, that's, going to, that's going to be very important going forward. Yeah, listen, our, our council, the City of Basel, have been fantastic. Uh, John Vines and Dave Bruce, uh, there, the council have been tremendous. And, and the Mayor, Craig Bull, uh, have been very, very good, very supportive um, for our club and ensuring that uh, our grounds are available. Um, even now, Obviously, since the COVID period, we're off for two or three months. And, and generally, at the end of, the, of a normal season, we'll be off for three months. But they've cut that down to a month so we can get back onto pre-season and be back at Frank Drago doing our normal stuff. So, listen, they've been very supportive. We couldn't ask too much more. No, I think that, that's helpful. And I, I'm going to be talking with uh, Ryan Lennigan later, who is the um, manager for participation in clubs, to see what uh, Football West will be doing to help support clubs through the next couple of years, because I think it's going to be vitally important. Yeah, well, well, I think it will be yeah. in, in a number of different ways in accessing grants and all those type of things. I'm yeah. not sure what football have planned in regards to support for next year. I'm, I'm not sure, that obviously, that they've had their trials and tribulations as well with restructuring and so forth. So, yeah, so, very interesting. Um, you're in a safe Labor seat, so is there any point in ask, asking for any federal funding? No, well, listen, we are, we are lobbying uh, federal and, and state. I mean, that, that's just the way it works. Yeah. You have to do that and go through your processes. And, you know, uh, we're lucky that uh, our local council have actually supported our redevelopment plans. So obviously, we have got some plans for a, for a redevelopment of Frank Drago. Um, and that was approved unanimously, I think it was about six months ago. So we're now in the process of actually lobbying uh, federal and state government for support and funding.
Yeah, definitely. And I think that that's the way forward. That We've got the, the Women's World Cup coming, so they're going to need some training venues. I think that's it. We should be yeah, leveraging well, off that. Yeah, we're in the hunt for that as well. Obviously, I think we've submitted. Um, we're excited about that. I think we're, we're in the running for a training venue when they do, when they do come here. So They are yeah, coming that'll here. Part, that'll be part of that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not led to believe certainly there's a few venues here that have been approved yep. uh, that I've been told we're, we're, we're one of them that are in the hunt for it. So obviously that'll be something that we'll be, we'll be speaking to council about and looking to upgrade facilities just to cater just for that. Now, obviously you, you never sleep in a club and I think for administrators now is the, the busy time, but even through the, the COVID shutdown, um, whilst Jerry may have been having a bit of a kip, uh, I know you wouldn't have been and you've been very much involved with the, uh, the, the National Second Division. Yeah, listen, the opportunity came up... Um and uh, we were asked to, to be a part of it. And, uh, and listen, as a board, we, we unanimously agreed that uh, the WAS is still in its infancy in the early stages, um, that we wanted to be a part of it. Uh, and obviously we've contributed financially to that uh, in order to do some homework and uh, with a view to really present to the FFA say middle of next year. That's, that's the plan. Yeah, so there's there's lots of questions around. I know there's yeah. 35 clubs involved. Um, obviously, not all 35 are going to be getting a, a Guernsey no. in the in the uh, the league. Um, and I know Perth have been involved for a long time, but you, you would see yourselves as being one of the the clubs that that should make that cup. Yeah, listen, we we're we're hopeful. I mean, like every, I think there's between now and when that happens, there's a lot to be done. So um, yeah. What we're at the process at the moment of the clubs, we've broken up into three different segments, all with different responsibilities. So we've got a chair for each group. So one looks after competition. So part of it is to go through the competition side of things and what that B League may look like. Uh, the next one is club capabilities. So there's, there's a group of clubs that are looking at that area. And then there's obviously a group of clubs looking at commercial and governance, so finance and all those type of things. So we've actually broken that up in, in each set of clubs are going to actually look at that and, and look at all the different scenarios, what this B-League may look like. There's no real fixed idea. We understand yeah. that uh, in, order, in order for the FFA to approve it, it needs to, we need to have gone through all the different scenarios and had reasoning and thought processes about the pros and cons of how many teams and, and do you play in hubs, do you play as, as a, a nation league? How do you do it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, hubs works if you're on the East Coast, but on the West Coast, uh, and you're yeah. still travelling thousands yeah, but, of but, but, but we, but we <laughs> We need to go through those processes. Yeah. And, uh, so just to make sure that we've you know, we've addressed them and we've thought about all the possible scenarios, winter, summer, season, yep. all those type of things. Now, when I first started talking to Rabbi Crayham, I think two or three years ago, I think he was on a 12-month deadline back then and it, it hasn't happened as it, we, we figured it might not. Um, but there was talk of a first team and under-24s and then each club would have to have a, a woman's or a female side. Is that part of it as well? Uh, that's part of the discussion. Uh, yeah. There is no, uh, there is, there is no fixed idea or plan at the moment. The FFA, this is generated by the clubs, so the FFA is not is part of it. They they are well aware of it, and yeah. FIFA is aware of the discussions going on and what's happening. They're supportive of the discussions that are going on. Um, yeah. I know this there is, is all... no, there, there is no fixed of what you have to do, and obviously yeah. that's going to, to be honest, it's all going to come down to the, the viability financially yeah. of clubs running all those teams. So you know, it's yeah. going to be difficult. Oh, look, it was a laudable ambition, but yeah, this is wholly and solely owned by the AAFC who've been promoting it for some time. But I, yeah. I do know that they were looking at having um, a men's and a female team and that they would both, that the 
the wage budgets for both were the same. It was quite a, a laudable sentiment at the mm. time. Whether or not that's how it pans out in the end, I don't know. Um, so funding it would be would be a, a huge financial commitment, and we've, we've talked about COVID and post COVID the the uncertainties ahead. So how do you you approach that? Well, again, that that's going to be part of all those discussions. I think um, from a Bayswater point of view. Um, I think the, the the salary cap, and it's not really going to be like I would, I would say. I'd hence, you know, say that it's not going to be a professional league like the A League. It'll be somewhat like a semi-professional league, like it used to be, like yep. the old NSL. It'll be yep. more similar along those type of lines, and, and games and, and those type of things are going to be worked around people's work. Uh, I don't think clubs can afford, certainly not on the west coast here, can afford to have full-time employees. That's going to be very difficult. Oh, absolutely will be. And I, and I think the one of the, the machinations they had early on was that the teams that were going to be representing the, the areas would be able to loan players from within the state. And I don't know how you would go with um, signing players temporarily from Inglewood or from um, Armadale or, or Coburn. So um, is that something you're looking at? Again, we're discussing now sizes of squads. Um, and then going through all the different types of scenarios, how that would work. If, if of it, depending on if it's working concurrently with with uh, the MPL in the winter season, or if it's not in the winter season, that's another factor. Yeah. Uh, whether you can or can or can't do those type of things. So, to be honest, that's that's uh, really in the early stages at the moment. That hasn't been discussed. No, no. But I mean, these are things that have to be thought of, yeah. though. And you know, when correct, you're, correct. when you're planning, and I suppose the other thing is. Whilst you've got a very dedicated and passionate band of fans, um, how do you then market outside of of that and, and attract players from you know Morley Ashfield or players but supporters from Morley Ashfield Inglewood um, those suburbs around you or from around Perth to jump on the Basie uh, wagon for the? Uh, I think I think we got to look at it from a, from a West Australian perspective that you know you're playing in in a league underneath the A League. And representing the state, yep. Um, and and that's how you know, that's how you'd be marketing your club. Or that's, that's, that's like the old West Coast Eagles. I mean, obviously yep. that was <laughs> formed independently. So I got something. Perth Kangaroos. Yep. Yeah, exactly right. Mm. Or if you got the tick and and did go up to the B League, so it, it all went ahead and and Basie was in it. Would you still have a team in the NPL, or is it Correct. solely yeah. you'd move yeah. up to yeah. the? No, still have a team in the NPL. Okay, you still have a team. Yeah, so. Regardless if it's a winter or a summer comp, you would still run a team in the NPL. Yeah, no, I think, and we should. I saw an article during the week from Graham Arnold about the amount of games played, yeah. um, particularly in for the youth in the NSL. They played or the A League W. Was the Y League, yeah, that, that's a joke. The Half Y-League. a dozen games yeah. or something for these these younger players, and he, he's trying to find other avenues to um, promote the youth. You know, we've got teams we play in Asia now that have, have got 17, 18-year-olds playing in their top league. Um, I think the A-League is one of the oldest leagues out there. Mm. Um, do, you, do you see that being something that Bayswater would, would rather uh, do? I, I, I would say to you that um, from a number of reasons, certainly the, the large majority of the players in this B-League will be, be younger players. Uh, you know, 23 and under, that type of thing. Not that that would be a restriction, but it'll be that type of demographic, sort of in, in the vein of what the NYL are doing with, uh, with the A-League players. Um, and you'd be training possibly mornings, doing that type of thing where guys can still go to work uh, or have an evening. Uh, and you'd be having young, young aspiring players looking to 
progress and looking that hopefully we'll sort out this transfer type of a scenario where players can be sold to A-League clubs and so yeah. on and so forth. That's the other thing that's, that's really going to be important, not just for, for this type of B-League, but even for NPL clubs to, to invest in their juniors. You really need some kind of financial reward. Look, I've been, I've been banging that drum for years. I, I think there should be um, a transfer market, even between State League, NPL, or even the Amateur Leagues and, and NPL. We, we take some of the kids from these other programs um, and then they end up playing for the glory. Um, you've obviously got um, one of your lads that played in your team previously yeah. is now playing for the glory. Um, you know, it would have been nice to have got some financial compensation mm-hmm. for that, and and that money, although it wouldn't would be wouldn't be a fortune um, if he ends up playing for the national team, could be, and if he goes overseas, will be. Um, and I think this is the stuff that needs to see the clubs. It works in Europe. It works across the world. Um, yeah. yeah, it's. A, I don't well, know why we don't do what, it. It's certainly what. Well, it's certainly what has hampered um, possibly some development. That you know, people talk about MPL fees and those type of things. I can assure you that, and we're probably in the middle of the range with fees. But uh, clubs aren't making a lot of money uh, from MPL fees. They're investing heavily in coaches. Clubs and, don't make you, money. You do it. Hmm. Not, not, not a lot of work you, you're doing. Like, for example, we do all the all the video footage. We do the yeah. game reviews. We've got the, all the statisticians, yeah. strength, and, strength and conditioning, physios. It's a lot to – and by the way, that's based on people like me and, you know, Jerry and yeah. all these guys in company donating their time. No secretary. So I think to, in order for, for clubs to reinvest heavily in, in a better junior structure, starting from the kids at under sixes, that's where it's got to start. Yeah. If there's a transfer window or if there is um, some training compensation throughout the ranks, then that would help that money go around and obviously yeah. incentivise clubs to invest in their kids more so. And, and the thing is, if you went to somewhere like Caramar Westside and you took a, a 16-year-old that cost you $5,000 to bring into your program who ended up transferring to an A-League club for twenty grand, who then went out over to Europe for big money, um, everyone along the way would profit, and each one of them would be appropriately funded then from Correct. those sales. And it, it is a way of of feeding the system from the ground up because we've always been a top down thing. Yeah. yeah, correct. Listen, as you know, I mean, years ago, used to, you know, twenty odd years ago, it used to be that way between clubs. That yeah. when you moved, there was a transfer fee. Yeah, absolutely. And I think yeah, we we talk about the semi pro and the pro. Um, I mean, obviously, the the national registration guidelines are, are quite. Um, precise on that. Anyone who gets more than one hundred and ten dollars a week for playing football is is a pro, um, and we need to be following through that because if you've got a, a player on professional papers, then you should be able to then negotiate his transfer um, on a market value. Yeah, well, it probably that that whole thing needs to be revamped in a way that works for everybody. Oh, look, the I think that the one hundred and ten dollars has been the benchmark for about. 30 years. <laughs> so, I mean, we talk about everything else has gone up in inflation, but that, that hasn't risen. And, uh, you know, the costs of uh, playing and the costs of, of paying uh, have increased significantly. But, you know, we, we'd like to have an honest system where everybody that was being paid more than $110 was, was being re- recognised and rewarded because that's really what we should be doing and we shouldn't fear professionalism. No, but as I said, our, to be fair, our guys here, you know, being all honesty, they can't be classified as being professional. No, no. They're training, yeah. they're training two, two, three times a week. We're, yeah, we're yeah. semi-best at, at, we're semi-best at, you know, semi-pro yeah. at best. 
aren't we, really? So, but the ambition should should be to be professional. I mean, I, I would, correct. I yeah. mean, the money. I think the money on the east coast is completely different. When yeah. you talk about uh, Victoria and New South Wales in particular. Yep. Um, yeah, it's a different level. Completely different level. Absolutely, but you know, Adelaide or South Australia is about the same size, and I know one of the Adelaide clubs got into serious trouble about their payments for players <laughs> and how they were registered. So you know, we we just got to have some honesty within the system and make sure that it it works yeah, for clubs, us. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure I know you're talking about, but yeah, that, yeah. that happens. Obviously, they didn't do, do things, didn't honour things, and that that happens if you don't honour your contract. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think we 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 tend to back off from it a bit, but it really is a good system. Gives clubs some certainty over players. We we talk about the roundabout of players here leaving. If you if you've got someone on a three year contract, and um, another club like Glory want to come and take him, you can go. Well, hang on a second. We negotiate this deal first, and and that's where the transfer market supports you within that as well. Yeah, correct, mm. correct. Yeah. Yeah, well, as I said, I don't know where the exact solution is, but I'm certainly on board with with that going forward. Absolutely, Ori. I I hope you have a, a wonderful off season, and and uh, we see normal service resumed at, at Basie. If you're going to have an off year, this is the one to do it, mate. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's that's the silver lining. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people have tried different things over the years. Um, and, you know, I'm pretty sure next season we, we hopefully are back to normal um, and we, we go on and have a, a good yeah. season. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for your time, Ori. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Cheers, mate. Cheers. See you. Bye-bye. Ori Colley there. I, look, I think it's great that they're involved in, in the discussions around the second division. They seem to, to know what they're talking about. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd be... Honestly, surprised if a second division side from oh, sorry, if a Perth side got into the second division, I think po- possibly with the it Eastern can't be national bias, if we don't. Oh, you know, if if you go between the two divisions, we got the Perth Glory in there, but um, I could see them making sorry the Eastern States making the argument that it would be such a cost saving for them not to have a West Australian side in there. And then I think you'll find that the, the Asian um, uh, FA would go. Oh, I'm sorry, mate, but unless it's the whole country, it's not the whole country. Oh, no, well, again, who gets in is a matter of criteria. And, yeah. You know, criteria can be tweaked one way or another. Oh, don't we know that? Don't we know that forever? Yeah, look, I think it's it's interesting that we we have those conversations. Yeah. And I think you can't have a national a national comp if we don't have a team, yeah. at least a team from Perth. Yeah. Uh, and the and yes, yeah, sorry. The, the travel's going to be a question. Yeah. And, you know, we look at the A-League, Every team gets an equal share of the travel budget. Yep. Now, the teams in Melbourne and Sydney don't travel that far yeah. and they get the same money as Glory do yeah. and and as um, Wellington Wellington do. Yeah. And Wellington and, and Perth have the, the, by far and away the biggest travel cost. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it, I think if it's equitable and it should be, on, it should be paid on a kilometre basis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's easy enough to, to calculate on a kilometre yeah, exactly. basis. You know how many games you've got to play and you know just how many times you've got to travel. There it is. That's your money. But they should do the same with the, the second division. And there is going to be a cost. And even if you get yeah. involved with a carrier, post-COVID, um, all the airlines are struggling. Yeah, they are. Yeah. That would be interesting. The, the, the discussion about getting uh, other local football fans to get behind Bayswater in a second division was yeah. an interesting one too because certainly I know like for a – you know, a diehard supporter of an English Premier League team, you know, they support their team and that's it. They won't hop on and, you know, support another team. 
Oh, look, don't, don't get me wrong. Well, I'll, I'll sit there, I'll watch Liverpool play in the Champions League final and I will, I will cheer for them in that final. Okay. But I won't go there. Yeah. Well, that, uh, that's actually what I was getting at was <laughs> yeah. like watching as a glory supporter, I've quite happily cheered for non-glory teams. I feel a bit dirty yeah. saying that in the Asian Champions League because I think I'll have to have shower after it, but yeah. yeah. I'll have to. Um, yeah. Do we have showers here or do I have to wait yeah. till no, the no, over? Western Sydney Wanderers when, when they won. <coughs> oh, I was cheering yeah, them like nobody. Absolutely. Yeah. You had to because it was an Australian club. It was out there and that was the first time it had been done. Yeah. And I think, you know, you had to get behind them. Yeah. Um, as an Aussie, you had to get behind. It was good to see that one of our clubs was competing in that market yeah. equally. But now we're not. No, exactly. Yeah, and we're going to ask the question why, and I think Graham Arnold's looking at it and saying our kids are not getting enough exposure at the higher levels. And you look at the local leagues, um, Ashfield and Mum, I know, have been playing kids up in their, their particularly the reserves and first teams. Yep. Uh, not many other people have. No. So, yeah, look, it's, it's interesting. All right, we're going to go to some messages. We'll be back after these with Ryan Lennigan, who is the new boy on the blocks at Football West. West Coast Futsal accommodates for players of all skill levels and ages. With four great locations around Perth, we have a time and a venue to suit anyone's busy week. From social men's, women's or mixed games to A-grade competition, we've got you covered. Games are played night and day, indoor and outdoor, all year round. So grab five mates and come down for a game today. Hi, I'm Rose, a junior trainee at Oswest Fencing and Rotoyan. I am the fourth generation of our family business. Oswest Fencing is built on 50 years of experience, creating unique fencing and gates and servicing the West Australian community. Let us help you secure and refurbish your home or business with customised materials and automation made to laugh. Ring us on 9258 6822 to discuss your ideas or visit our online galleries at auswestfencing.com.au. That's A-U-S-W-E-S-T fencing.com.au. Station sponsor. Okay, and um, coming back, we had, as we said, we had the first, second division finals last night, and today it's first division's chance for the uh, the big show. And midweek, the semi-finals, Kingsway Olympic defeated Sterling Lions three one, and Fremantle City had a two nil win over Western Knights. So the uh, final today is Kingsway against Fremantle in the Resies. It's Subiaco versus Quins, and in the under 18s, it'll be Subiaco versus Joondalup United. So once again, a, a good mix of clubs getting through to get at least one game in the final somewhere. Yeah, on the absolutely, way. and I think yeah, there's um, 
some some good results there. I think there's um, a surprise along the way. I mean, Knights missed out on the, the league and now they've missed out on this as well. So yeah. it, interesting because for mine, they were the best team in the league. But um, yeah, You seem to have a little smirk to your, to your face as you say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's football, isn't it? You know, that's how it goes. Oh, look, it's just an interesting thing. Um, now, do you know what they call people that hang around footballers? Oh, I, I'm scared to answer this one. Goalkeepers. Goalkeepers. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and joining us on the line now is a former goalkeeper who is the, the new kid on the block at Football West, uh, Ryan Lennigan. Ryan, good morning. How are you? I couldn't have asked for a better introduction, Jen. <laughs> Sean, Peter, great to join you. Yeah, well, I thought I'd try and establish your football credentials by describing you as a goalkeeper, but that means you know nothing about football, really. So, <laughs> But then I, I read your bio, you're six foot seven, so I'm glad I'm doing this on the radio. <laughs> Fairly sure they just chose me out because I could uh, hang the net on the top bar. That was the uh, only qualification for me uh, to, to get the uh, starting goalkeeper job, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I saw a, a meme on, on one of the internet uh, pages this week where it had goalkeeper and uh, the, all the positions, like number eight's a captain, and for goalkeeper it had easiest to convince. <laughs> <laughs> so how you going, mate? You, you Sorry, it's uh, it's it's the best spot on the uh, on the pitch. To be fair, the greatest view, and um, yeah, you're the hero or the villain, and uh, something about that responsibility always uh, always sat well with me. Yeah, I used to be a hockey goalkeeper, and I, it was much the same thing. You know, you'd spend lots of time there watching the game go. Oh, and you think oh, I'm getting bored. Hope something happens, and when it does, you're going, get away, get away. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you have to do something, yeah, you, you're the hero. So. Um, yeah, I, I understand it myself. And I also think that uh, goalkeepers, irrespective of hockey or um, soccer, they're always a, a bit twisted. <laughs> you, you do need to have a screw loose just to uh, to enjoy that uh, that pressure, I think. Uh, Absolutely, it's, mate. It's one of, yeah, it doesn't matter which one it is. Um, the same as uh, at six foot seven, I still pull on the guard, the uh, wicked keeping gloves, which gets a, uh, a few funny looks come summer as well. But. Um, uh, I, I put it all down to just that screw loose in the head. Yeah, I was surprised to see you. You, you played hockey. Um, you know, you think you'd be stooped over a fair bit with the, the sticks and mm. things like that. But um, obviously, you, you've got a sporting background, um, and you you went and left WA and went over to Queensland for uni. Um, you you got involved with um, hockey in WA in much the same role you have now. That's that's correct. So, uh, Sean, I I, um, I grew up in the hills of Perth, um, and much like uh, a, a few of my uh, compatriots of the same generation, my um, my experience of, of football of soccer was to uh, lay down the jumpers at uh, at a lunchtime as the the goals, and uh, we had we had great fun there. But I was certainly more from the uh, the traditional um, Aussie rules cricket uh, ilk um, until I reached high school, and um, I, I realised that. Uh, there was other sports out there, and um, as soon as I jumped in goals, I, I realised that it's a sport that, that spoke to my passion, spoke to uh, the culture that I, I love in sport. Um, my sporting university career then did take me to Queensland, where I I continued to play both uh, both Aussie rules and uh, and football over there um, before uh, returning for a role with uh, Hockey WA about two and a half years ago. So. Uh, I've been I've been very blessed. Uh, it's it's not often that um, people can make a uh, a career in sport and sport administration um, for as long as I have, and I've, I've enjoyed every minute. 
Yeah, so um, you did a, when you were at Bond, you organised an international soccer carnival? I did. So we, Bond University on the Gold Coast is a, uh, a very international uh, university as it is. Uh, not a huge cohort, about 5,000 students, but out of that 5,000, there'd be 25 to 30 countries represented um, by uh, the students, and often they lived on campus. It was a, a large cohort living on campus, which meant that uh, sports was easy to organise. Um, one of the, the, those great uh, events was our Bond World Cup, where basically we approached those different cultural groups um, to put in uh, a team that uh, that was made up of predominantly, um, you know, the students from that that nation or that region, and uh, it's something about football that um, it, when when you pull those different cultural groups together, you see the uh, the different strategies and tactics and uh, an approach to the game, and that's what makes it such a, a such a global game and such a great game to watch um, and to play. Uh, it's relatively simple to understand, but. Um, the uh, the nuances to the game itself really make it uh, more unique than any other game in the world. Yeah, definitely, and I think you know all those cultures combined in Australia, which uh, you know leaves us with a, a huge potential going forward because that we are a, a mishmash of all of those hundred and sixty eight nations, and every single one of them contributes to that picture. Um, now, your, your role at Football West, you're the manager for participation. Um, community and clubs what does that actually mean yeah great question so uh, I, I've, I've had a bit of a whirlwind start to uh, my employment with uh, football west i started three weeks ago sean and um uh during that time i've i've, uh, I've got to see uh country week in action which is um all about um participation and development of our uh, love of country our week yeah i, I used to live in albany so i, I love country week yeah, so I've gone from that to um, the uh, the NPL finals and that, that final round where ECU jingle up and the uh, Sorrento game. I, I think I went into it thinking that um, I, I was potentially going to be just watching the uh, second, the third, but of course the results in the other game meant that uh, ECU jingle up lifted the cup. And uh, from, from that through to uh, watching some amateur finals as well, so North Perth versus uh, Queen's Park. So I've had a wide range of experiences already in the three weeks. The role itself is all about um, uh, managing our, our community and participation department. So that's everything from competition at NPL through the juniors, uh, participation with our development officers and, uh, and working into the regions, and then establishing uh, our new and alternate programs, whether that be walking football, um, beach football, uh, the uh, the Football World Cup that um, the Football West is putting on. Uh, it's a very varied role, um, but I am lucky that I have a fantastic team to be working with in that space and, uh, and look forward to getting some, some key wins for the community on the ground. Yeah, certainly with Alex and Jamie um, on either wing, yeah, you've got some good supports there. Um, just looking at clubs, um, this has been a COVID year. Lots of clubs have struggled in different ways and others have just been normal business. But I think, you know, the, the COVID hangover is, is, as I was talking to Ari Colley earlier on, going to last two to three years. What do you see clubs needing to do to improve or what help can Football West offer clubs um, during this time? Yeah, that's a great question, Sean. I think that's going to affect um, several sports, and and we can't think in Western Australia that we've had that we've escaped the COVID consequences. These, um, in particular, the, the financial and participatory consequences of, uh, of 
COVID that are going through, unfortunately, last for a number of years. Um, for us, it's all about establishing uh, strong communication processes with, with clubs, whether they be an NPL club through to junior clubs um, within the Metro, through to our regional associations, and making sure they have access to the resources from Football West um, to help them uh, implement new programs, um, new governance support structures uh, to help them survive and, and thrive during this time too. Any challenge, uh, whether it be COVID or, or any other, also presents an opportunity. Every sport is going through these same challenges and, and some, um, if you take Australian rules, for example, have often relied on that, that top-down um, commercial funding model. Uh, football is in a, in a lucky position that uh, their clubs are passionate, they've got great governance and administrators um, and, and they have the pieces in place to actually get some key wins coming out of this time. Um, so I, I look forward to working with all Football West clubs and associations as we you know, make, make the most of what's been a really difficult year uh, yeah. put in place some processes for next year to, uh, to start to grow. Yeah, I think when you, you look at it, we're, we are actually in a, a better position because of the, the, the grassroots up funding model. Um, and particularly I spoke with um, the president of Belia uh, Spirit last time I was on air and I mean they're basically a hand-to-mouth club so they whatever kids they have fill teams which they register um, a couple of mum and dad sponsors for shirts and, and everything's taken care of in a very nice easy tight budget um, but when you start to step up into the um, particularly the amateur prems and state league um, the financial modeling becomes very very um Difficult, and it reliant more on attracting funding. And I know lots of commentary about um, people profiting from charging MPL rates for for kids to play football. I don't know too many clubs that are actually making a mint or making any money out of kids. But mm. it, it, the funding models become tighter the the higher you you play, and they're the ones that really, if we want to progress as a state, we need to have good strong players at that level. Absolutely. I know that one of your, uh, your guests uh, coming up um, later in today's show, um, Bill Kelly, who I've, uh, I've um, spoken to at length in regards to some of those state league concerns, which carry through a number of, uh, a, a number of different um, uh, levels as well, from NPL through the state league um, into the amateurs. Um, that commercial funding model, uh, where there is an over-reliance either on the grassroots participation to, to fund the top end of the club, or uh, relying on commercial sponsors who perhaps have had really tough years. Um, well, you need to be very conscious to, uh, to not let the sport fall into a haves and haves not uh, situation. It's important that um, across the board, clubs are our lifeblood. Um, from an SSO perspective, clubs are the reason we exist. They are our members. Uh, and ensuring that uh, Football West can service those clubs and ensure that the strong governance and administration process is put in place to not only see them survive but also thrive is a, is a really important priority for our department. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you mentioned that the, the standing committee. I know you, you were at the State League standing committee meeting on Monday. Um, there's lots of commentary about the uh, zone reps and the standing committees in general that their, um, their value is um, questionable. Uh, the motives of some of the people on there is questionable. They're there for, because they get a ticket to the Football West Ball. Um, and some people don't even know who their zone reps are. I mean, there's um, lots of criticism of them. What do you think of, of that current setup? 
It's an interesting perspective, Sean. I, I think from my end, um, having uh, worked in sports administration now for close to, to 15 years, uh, the standing committee set up, which is constitutionally bound for Football West and, and the other uh, member associations sitting under the FFA, um, took, my, took me a little bit of time to wrap my head around. Um, I've worked with advisory committees across a number of sports before, but to have a constitutionally bound was, uh, was an interesting one. From what I can see, uh, from a glass half full perspective, standing committees provide Football West a fantastic opportunity to hear what is happening on the ground. Um, with so many clubs, with so many associations and regions, um, to have a, a centralised contact point for those clubs, for those leagues, to have positive changes made and heard by Football West is something that, um, that certainly from our end, we're very keen to ensure that we, can, we, we grow. Um, you're absolutely right. I think that um, it would be it would be tough for individuals to take off that club cap um, to not to not put their uh, to not put their club first. But from our end, we are all about seeing the game grow. Um, and if there is good ideas, good strategies, and advice and guidance coming from our standing committee back to Football West, we're in the position and we have a responsibility to ensure that those um, those strategies and ideas and projects. Uh, activated and and, um, and something's done about them. So, from my end, um, I, I've loved meeting the uh, the standing uh, chair committee pre- um, uh, chair chairpersons across the board. Um, uh, certainly, uh, I look forward to um, establishing really strong working relationships relationships with them, as as, as my team already has. So, uh, yeah. for me, it's it's just about making sure that communication is. Um, formalised and, and communicated to the wider body as well. And, and my understanding is that that was really what the zone reps were supposed to do, is that there was that conduit of information between Football West mm-hmm. and the clubs um, and that, you know, it was a two-way street. Um, I think that they have great value if you have the right people in there. Um, we used to have Karen Ray as one of ours years ago and Karen was very uh, proactive and I think that that's part of the key uh, and then you, at least you're getting good feedback from the ground up. I think that, again, to, to, to look at my experience within sports administration, um, the, the last thing that you want sports administrators, whether it be Football West or any other state or national sporting organisation, is to feel like they're sitting in an ivory tower and not listening to what's happening on the ground. That's a really important piece for me. I think that standing committees under the right context provide us the conduit to the people who make the game run. It's uh, it's still a volunteer-driven sport. I understand that um, it is becoming more commercial, but ultimately, without the volunteers on the ground who are cooking the barbecues, who are establishing um, sponsors, who are washing the kit, marking out the lines, the game just doesn't go. So for us, hearing those voices and making sure that we do our best to try and enact policies and strategies to assist them is a really important point for us. Yeah, definitely. And I think, look, nationally, we're, we're still waiting for a review on the, the youth development model. Um, the NPL is, is just a, a product and a brand name. Um, and I think largely people think that that's a, a failing product. Um, it hasn't achieved what it was supposed to achieve we're we're decrying the fact we don't have a golden generation Mm. um we've got the national coach complaining that the the youth have not been uh, exposed to enough games at a high enough level um 
you know, how I know from our perspective, how do we fix that when we're we're stuck with a national model that is in desperate need of a revamp? Unfortunately, sports administration is, uh, is is not as easy as just following a rule book, is it? I mean, uh, that, that's, that's a difficulty in, in sports development and sports growth is that there's, there's many different ways of, uh, of approaching that. But if you look at it from a holistic perspective, we have the Women's World Cup coming up. Yep. Uh, we've got the State Football Centre um, approved and in, in, in the final stages of design before uh, construction here in WA. There are some pieces around the sport of football that will enable it to continue to thrive and, and, and grow. It is, uh, it's quite clearly uh, the sleeping giant that the, uh, the other sports have always been concerned about, um, and rightfully so, based on participation numbers, based on global reach and commercialisation. But I think moving forward, the sport, certainly at a West Australian level, has an opportunity to establish itself as the premier participation product. Uh, across the state and um, to be involved in, in that from an administration perspective is really exciting. Yeah, definitely. Look, we're, the, participation-wise, we're, we're going very well, particularly mm. in, in juniors. Um, I think one of the problems we, we have, though, is you walk around any car park at any club and have a look at the back windows of the cars. <laughs> They've got membership uh, stickers for other codes other than um, football. So, you know, that's something we need to address. And whilst the kids are participating, they grow up also supporting those other codes. And it's, it's how do we, we make that the, the premier code? The home of football, Mark three. Um, you know, we, the one thing I've, I've learned about the home of football is at some stage it all falls in a big heap. <laughs> um, I'd love to see it come off, but I, I'm still very doubtful. How far has that progressed? It's, uh, so the, the great thing there, Sean, is that the funding's been approved. So um, that is a number of stakeholders in that space and, um, and full credit to uh, the federal state um, governments for, for supporting that venture, but also to our CEO, James Curtis, and his, um, and his board members for, um, for solidifying that position for the, uh, the State Football Centre. Um, the uh, design processes are continuing, so the, the site itself has been um, has been chosen and um, and effectively approved. Um, now it's about listening to the stakeholders and um, and pulling all that advice together because for such a massive venture, there are a number of voices um, that need to be heard and, and need to be um, uh, implemented as well. Um, but across the board, I, I think that it would be fair to say that Football West is extremely excited. I think that. Um, it's, uh, it's one of the few um, uh, standalone uh, state sporting organisations that, that doesn't feel like it has its home. Um, no. So having that, uh, having that place that, uh, that not only Football West, but every single footballer across Western Australia has pride in, um, can you know, pump, pump their chest and say, this is ours, this is our legacy towards the game and, and the growth of the game. Uh, I think that's really exciting. Oh look, and I think there's some some really good things can come out of it. And I think if if the if the site is being used seven days a week, then you know, great. Um, that in itself will bring some challenges. But um, I think there's whilst we we do a lot of work in developing players, we do very little in developing administrators. Mm. And I think that's something that the I know we we run um, some courses here and there, but there's. To have a central point where we can run them would be a, a great advantage. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, to, just to, to, to touch on one of your points about um, the different codes and um, and the you know the, the signs, the, the stickers that you see in the back yeah. of cars. I've uh, I've come from a sport in hockey um, that uh, had a very similar problem, Sean. And um, uh, I think that there has to be a there's a fine line between having a sport that's well supported on the ground, um, but that's just not getting its uh, its commercial product right, and um, too much focus at that top end. I think football, and in conjunction with the state football centre, has the ability to, to find the, the right um, the right compromise between the two. Certainly, high performance and talent development um, for the sport is integral. However, we also need to be really conscious that we have forty five thousand members, we have two hundred thousand participants across the state. Um, having something that they feel like they equally own and are proud of. Um, is a really important perspective for Football West. Yeah, definitely. And I think yeah, that whilst we, you know, a lot of people support football and love football, most people have a, a Premier League team in England um, and then won't attend glory games. And I think, you know, we, we've got to get behind the game at all levels. Um, people involved in, in a local club and volunteering and becoming administrators and that helps. But then they also need to get on board with the with the, the national league product um, and support that. And, and I know people go there and go, "Oh, it's not like watching Man United." Well, no, it's not going to be. Um, and it, it has we have to build it. But you know, I love going to the glory. I, I think mm. it's fantastic, and that's why I've been a member for several years. But it, I don't know how we fix that. It is a tough one. I mean, I, I, I grew up now watching my uh, my now boss. Um, take the field for uh, for for it. Jamie Hunter was uh, was certainly uh, a uh, a strong name for me um, for me growing up, and to, to now work with him on, on this side is uh, is a real pleasure. But um, the, the thing that Glory provided to the Perth community was a unified voice to get behind, and and certainly they were very visible in the public. Um, I look forward to working with Perth Glory from a schools and participation perspective. I think that there is numerous advantages. And ensuring that um, that 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 Perth Glory name and the um, the ability to create heroes for kids is so important. It's a it's a it's a factor of sport development that um, that can't be left out. Kids need heroes. Kids want heroes. And if we can establish that uh, from players that they see around their local community, that they see on their their news, um, or even nowadays with, with social media being so prevalent as well, really harnessing that social media power. Um, I, I think that's a, a key piece of the puzzle moving forward. Yeah, definitely. I think there was a, a tweet the other week from someone, I um, can't remember who he was now, but uh, about the, the Queensland uh, Football Association have had a massive number of hits on their website for their production of stuff. I watched the women's semi-final between Mum and Redbacks the other night and uh, the broadcast quality is fantastic. Um, the commentary is for a, a local league game, great. Uh, and I think, you know, that's the sort of stuff we need to be doing, particularly post-COVID where people are suspect of going into crowds or leaving home. Um, it's a great opportunity. And I suppose that's the thing about adversity. Some people see it as adversity and some people see it as a, as a, a an opportunity. You know, you talked about glass half full and um, a glass half empty approach. I think most clubs are just grateful they've got a glass. <laughs> um, so we we do we just got to fill it with something that's really worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. And 
absolutely. And tie back into that, that uh, initial question, Sean, about um, ways that Football West can can support their their clubs. If you take something like live streaming, which um, which has gone absolutely gangbusters for uh, for Football West and um, and provides a fantastic opportunity for us to push the game. Working in hand in hand in conjunction with our clubs, whether they be NPL clubs or otherwise, um, the opportunity to commercialise that product somewhat and provide a, a, a constant source of revenue for um, for those clubs is uh, is, is a key um, strategic direction for Football West as well. Mm. Um, you're right; the product itself is fantastic. I mean, right now I'm, I'm watching um, the, the State League did two under 18, and it, it is a fantastic product. We'd love to have this one live streamed as well. So. I think that the the work that um, that Football West and the uh, competitions department has done in putting in place live streaming as a as a pilot yep. can continue to grow and um, and it will only benefit the sport with the more eyes watching whatever level that is that's being live streamed. Yeah, and as we talk about club development, I suppose that's one of the other things that you could do is that if each club had their own blogger or um, you know uh, AV expert that was producing those for themselves we we could live stream every single game in the state league yeah i, I and again i i think that um the sports that can take advantage of the efficiencies that, that come with technology are the ones that are best placing themselves moving forward so you may have uh you, you know you may have a smaller club um operating at lower levels but um that doesn't mean that uh, you don't have a, a whiz kid um, amongst your, your grades that could help put out a podcast or, um, you know, help design your social media or whatever it is. Um, these are the type of opportunities that technology and um, the efficiencies that come with technology are presenting to our clubs. But then as uh, Football West, we have a responsibility to make sure that we make that as easy as possible too. So Absolutely. Um, it's a bit of a... A bit of a glove in hand there, and um, that's a really exciting part for for me moving forward. No, good to hear, Ryan. Look, it's it's nice to talk to someone who's in the first three weeks of their job and <laughs> full of all the the ambition and drive that yeah yeah obviously have right now. Um, obviously, we will keep touch with you and and see how you degrade over the next few years <laughs> um, as as we wear you down. At six foot seven, I think you'll take a fair bit of wearing down. <laughs> It's, uh, it, it, yeah, you're right. Um, I can be an imposing figure walking into a room, but uh, for me, um, I, I think it is a, a little bit of the start as well. I, um, I, I, I love chatting to people. Yeah, sure, I've got the, uh, the shaved head and the beard, but um, please don't... Uh, Please don't hesitate in, um, in in touching base and having a chat. I think that's yeah. the great thing about sport is that it, it unites us and it's... Uh, it's the reason why I love what I do and I will continue to love what I do. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Look, I've got Pete here. He's grown a beard and his head seems to be shaving itself over the years. So um, he'll join you very shortly, I think. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, mate. Thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it, gents. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, mate. See ya. Thanks. Ryan Lennigan there, um, I'm sure over the next few years there'll be people moaning about him somewhere along the line on, on the <laughs> – Interwebs as they always do. Of course. Yeah, I mean, I, I think even some of the, the greats like Jamie get uh, lambasted on there and I think there's some people who just love to just bash Football West because they're Football West. But uh, I think he's up to the job. Yep, yep. Well, he's, he's certainly, um, as you said, uh, starting the job and sounding enthusiastic at the moment. We'll see how he goes. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we'll, we'll wear him down over the years. We'll see how we go. But I uh, Look, good on him. He's there. I think it's going to be a very tough year for clubs. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, for him, it will be tough. Um, 
there, there's going to be some clubs that don't make the full journey, and I don't know how we get through that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's no clubs have folded yet, have they? No, no, no. So the question is, will they be back next year? Yep. Yeah. Our look and, and thin in the herd is not always a bad thing. Yeah, true. All right, no worries. Well, we're going to go some messages and we'll be back after the break with... Derek. Derek. Good, you're here, isn't it? <laughs> Gate and Fence Hardware WA is your hardware shop online. Find all the parts you need to fix, make and secure your gates and fences. Friendly staff and family offer advice to help your project along or order in your special part. Gate and Fence Hardware WA. Station sponsor. I'm Peter Skeeler. The world is a little different to us all right now. We may be learning to play football with our mates online, keeping in touch by FaceTime, and watching classic matches on Share TV. One thing that won't change is being able to listen to the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle. Your World Football team are here every Saturday from 10am to 12 noon. We appreciate your support, and stay safe, Australia. We're all in this together. You did well with that, mate. I didn't even see your lips move. That was fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah, well, you were practicing my ventriloquism. Were you in a small room when you did that? <laughs> uh, possibly. I don't remember actually where I recorded that. <laughs> uh, at least it wasn't any running water in the background, so it's pretty good. <laughs> All righty. Um, so we mentioned the first division ones. Sunday is the um, NPL finals, yes. Yeah, so. Uh, in the NPL uh, semis midweek, uh, ECU, Joondalup and Perth finished as a 3-1 win to Perth and Floriot Athena defeated Coburn City 2-0. So it's Floriot and Perth in the grand final. Um, and in the under-20s, it'll be Bayswater City against ECU, Joondalup. And I don't have the under-18s. I thought we'd already decided it was Bayswater and Sorrento. but I yes, it is. So that's looking forward that, yep. to tomorrow. Um, now, last week in the EPL, there were some really strange yeah. results. <laughs> and, you know, it's just interesting to watch. I have no doubt that Liverpool and Man City will be there at the end of the year. But the man who's got his finger on the pulse in the UK for us is Derek Pollock. Derek, good morning. How are you? Yeah, good morning, Sean Peter. How are you guys? Good, mate. What a weird weekend. <laughs> yeah, you say some strange results. My friend, um, who's a Liverpool fan, texted me in in, in that morning and, and he said, oh, woke up and looked at the results and said, oh, I'm happy with that. Took me a few <laughs> moments to realise it was real. I said, Liverpool too. <laughs> I, I've got a friend who plays social leagues and he plays for, uh, he supports Villa. And he said, oh, I can't be bothered watching it. So he said, I went to bed. My son phoned me in the morning. And he goes, Dad, it was 7-2. And he went, oh, I, I didn't think – I knew it was going to be bad. I didn't think it was going to be that bad. And he went, no, we won. And he went, you're kidding. <laughs> that Grealish is some player. Yeah, look, Grealish is fantastic. And that's why so many clubs wanted to try and buy him in the transfer window, um, but also why Villa was so desperate to keep hold of him. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. No, look, he's he's a very, very gifted footballer. I thought when they went down, I was surprised that no one tried to prize him away at that point. 
Yeah, we, when he was in the um, came up to the championship, and yeah, and, and teams were definitely trying to get him um, before they got promoted. Uh, but again, Tottenham, they, they almost had him. They only have themselves to blame. Villa were in an extraordinarily perilous financial position. Yeah. Uh, and, and they were they were like, right, let's just get rid of these players. And Daniel Levy, he went, right, like, you know, I'm already getting a cheap deal, but I want an even cheaper deal. And he pushed and pushed and pushed to try and get um, Villa um, to accept just a ludicrously cheap deal. Um, and they, they, they were just about to, but then they got bought out by the Chinese billionaires, and then suddenly they were in a position where they didn't need to sell. And went, oh, hang on. Oh, we're, not, we're not going to accept this. So you can, you can, you can have your whatever, $15 million or whatever it was, and, yeah. and um, we'll keep, we keep realish, thank you. So then, so he's, you know, Tottenham could very easily have had him for the last two seasons. How very Tottenham of them. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, now, I know, look, Two years ago, he came in as a caretaker manager. His um, reign at that point was suspect. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, he's, he's, he's gone through <laughs> two years. Um, we, we know Pochettino's sitting somewhere in the background just twiddling his thumbs waiting for the phone call. Um, how long do you reckon that's going to be? Oh, this this is just – I mean, the way Man United are being run at the moment – is I mean I don't even want to call it a comedy because it, it's it's I, I don't even like Man United and I feel bad. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, look, he came in as an interim manager, and he had the anyone but Jose bounce where anyone I mean they could have got you know a smiling Labrador in yeah. and there would have been an uptick in form because it just wasn't Jose Mourinho, and everyone with half a brain was saying, give him till the end of the year, see what happens when he has. Uh, you know, some form of, of of challenge and how they overcome the challenges. Um, you know, it's it's Ole. He's not going to even if he performs amazingly, he's not going to accept a deal anywhere else until he's had the chance to get a deal at Man United. So he'll wait till the end of the season. Just give him till the end of the season, and then and then see and then assess it. But no, halfway through his interim reign, they were after that result against PSG, thanks to a ludicrous VAR decision. They went, oh no, let's just give him the job permanently. Um, and, and what happened? Yeah. <laughs> as soon as that happened, then obviously there was the, the plummeting results. Um, and then last season, uh, yeah, they, they signed Bruno Fernandes. Again, there was this big up, this big, we've got suddenly this creative play uptick. They managed to just scrape into the top four thanks to the bottle job of all bottle jobs by Chelsea and, and Leicester. Mm. And, and again, like we're, we're, we're at the same point now where we're saying he's just not good enough. And like, you know, and don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to, Climb that all of the problems at Man United are Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He's probably one of the, even the, the smallest problems. But it's the easiest problem to resolve. Yeah. And again, how long are they going to let Mauricio Pochettino sit there and get taken up by someone else until they go, do you know what? This is a decision we should have made a year and a half ago. Let's just do it now. Yeah, I suppose the other part of that problem is, though, that because they've had so many changes of, of coach and that hasn't worked, that there's pressure on them not to change and, and, and give him a more than reasonable go. It's just a, a point, at what point does their patience wear out with him and go, you know what, three years is, is more than enough? Well, yeah, I mean, I think at this point where you look, you know, he's had long enough now, you look at the way they're playing and unless they're sitting deep and using really quick forwards to get in behind the defence on the counter, that's the only time they've really ever looked threatening under his reign. You know, they've never really had a, had, had a um, you know, a, a sustained period of time where they've been able to break down a compact defence. And there's just no real, doesn't, there's a whole lot of coaching going on, to be fair. You know, there's no sort of ability to sort of 
go to a plan B. You know, if, if they can't just get the ball out to Martial really quickly and let him run half a pitch and score, then there's not a lot that's going on. Absolutely, and and lots of criticism about some of his signings, like Harry Maguire, who walked straight into the captain's armband um, and has been shocking since. Yeah, well, I mean, there was the the goal that um, Sun scored, was it Sun scored, uh, mm. where um, Maguire sort of tackled Luke Shaw out of the way. <laughs> it was yeah. just, it, it, was, it, was, it was comedic. There was another, I think it was late last season, where from a corner, he shepherds a Man United defender out of the way. I think he, he realises that after it happened, and that led to a goal. Yeah, you know, so when... there's these high-profile blunders. But again, this speaks to a bigger problem at Man United, which is they've had so many players who've been signed for so many different managers, for so many different styles of football. They need to get a director and signed by someone who doesn't really know much about football. Mm. They need to get a director of football in to say, this is the way we're going to play. And all of the managers we appoint, all of the signings we're going to make are all going to be related to this style of football that we need to try and play. <laughs> Absolutely, and I think that's, that's the problem that, that they're having, and it's a, a big issue for for Man U. Um, they've got players that have got big egos that don't fit, and I think you know we talk about Ferguson. His real skill was to manage all those egos to make them mm. into a, a, a team. I mean, you you wouldn't have got anyone with a bigger ego than Roy Keane, and and someone more difficult to manage, but he did it. Yeah, exactly, and I, I feel what one of the problems is that. Modern football kind of passed Ferguson by, but he was able to deal with that through his own just sheer force of will and his own ability was able to sort of keep them going despite the changes to the game. But then when he left, instead of going, right, it's a new world, than it was before he was appointed, let's appoint a modern sort of hierarchy in a modern system. They sort of went, no, no, he did it. Let someone else can do it. And that, you know, there's no, there's no possible way to go from Ferguson to Moyes to Van Gaal, to Mourinho, to Solskjaer, if you have a plan. They're just, just If you have a plan, that just doesn't happen. And so Correct. it's clear that there's no plan there. And again, the, the, the lack of plan, I mean, if you look at the transfer window, you know, you can almost imagine, you know, um, a, a meeting in, in, in the Man United head office where they go, right, what do we need? We needed a centre-back. We need a holding midfielder. We need a left-back. We need a right-winger. All right, let's go sign an ageing centre-forward with a massive agent fee. <laughs> yes, <I laughs> yeah. Just, where, where does that fit in? Yeah, and I think yeah, I, I'm guessing you, you still tip Ole has been the um, the first manager to get the sack this year. Uh, if he's not in the first two, I'll be, I'll, I'll be shocked. You know, the, there's just yeah, the, it's just so obvious that like, that is one of the problems. I mean, you know, he's definitely fighting with one of his hands tied behind his back, yeah. but he's just still not doing enough. I mean, you know, people go on about the problems with the quality of the squad that Man United have got, but they've got a better team than most teams in the Premier League. Yeah. You know, they've got a better team than Crystal Palace. Yeah. Absolutely. They can do something. Now, uh, the next game's against Newcastle. Newcastle have, have been going pretty well. Um, if they get beat by Newcastle, do you think that would be it for him? Uh, I, yeah, it's, it's hard to predict in these things because it's just, unfortunately, it's just too difficult to predict anything that's going to happen with or any decision made by Ed Woodward, because, you know, you're sort of trying to apply some form of, of logic to it, but he doesn't go along that sort of sense of logic. He just goes on, you know, what will the social media most like this time? And, you know, what's he, you know, he's a bit, he's alarmingly um, reactive to public opinion, yeah. which is not what you want for a CEO. But, you know, but I can see Newcastle um, beating them, really. Um, you know, they were, they were extraordinarily lucky to get past Brighton. Mm. Brighton absolutely bossed them all game and, and, 
just couldn't, weren't clinical enough. And Steve Bruce has got his Newcastle team playing very well in terms of sitting behind the ball and hitting the counter. Absolutely. Which is exactly the type of team that United can't really or struggle to be. And then you've got St. Maxim running, running at someone who's got the turning circle of the Queen Mary. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then Almiron behind him as well. Yeah. Um, and and Callum Wilson making some good runs. So, yeah, you know, I would be worried if I was a Man U supporter going into the game against Newcastle. Absolutely. Now, the manager that everyone tipped to to be the first one sacked um, in Moyes is actually not doing too bad a job now. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because they've started winning as he hasn't been there. So <laughs> he's, he has to self-isolate and then suddenly they pull two wins out of the bag. Uh, if, if he comes back after the international break and they start losing again, then maybe he should just go for a weekend away in Belgium next oh, next game they play. And oh, maybe they just the leave, leave him at home and do the whole thing remotely. It seems to be yeah. working for them. But, yeah, look, he, he seems to have turned it around. Um, Everton... I think he's changed the formation, which is to a bit of a 3-4-3, which has seemed to, seemed to work. Yeah, and I think the other thing is that... Um, Noble is not making as much of an impression. He, he's not starting. Rice is basically the, the captain now um, and has re- res- resisted all the um, the charms of Frank Lampard and Chelsea, who did reject him as a junior, by the way, um, to go. So he's, he certainly seems to be stamping himself as a, as a West Ham player. Oh, yeah. I mean, David Moyes has already said to get Declan Rice, you would need a, you know, ridiculous transfer bid. I believe his terms was Bank of England money. Um, yeah, but in, in, I think, yes, like you say, getting Noble off the pitch is one of the key things. You know, he's a great club man, but, I mean, he's not been Premier League starting material for at least a season. And getting a bit more mobility and a bit more quality in, in midfield is really good. And then getting Masawaku away from any defensive responsibilities was another key key factor. And yeah. then there was a game last season, the season before, where they brought him on. 2-0 up and lost 3-2 just based on errors he's made. And I think someone did some maths um, in getting rid of Jack Wiltshire and his 100 grand a week wage bill. Um, they, if they'd have invested that money, instead of paying him to play the six games that he did, if they'd invested that money, they could have saved about four low division clubs over the last two years. Um, it's just an obscene amount of money people get to be injured. Yeah, the, the 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 disparity between the top level and the lower leagues um, is is yeah is, is phenomenal, and it's it's really it's it's, it's, un, it's unsustainable. Um, and I know a lot of lower league clubs kind of have their, themselves to blame by um, running an unsustainable business model, but some clubs don't. Some clubs really do run it well, and 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 they're losing out yeah. um, as a result. So there there has to be. I mean, I don't agree with Sean Dyche when he he was asked about it and he said. Why are we bailing out? You know, hedge fund managers that don't make money aren't bailed out by ones that do, which I just think totally misses the point of football and football clubs as social institutions. And I think there needs to be some form of legislation made uh, in, in, in Parliament to stop single owners coming in yeah. and wrecking clubs like they did with Wigan, like Absolutely. they did with Dalton, like they did with Barry. Yep. I uh, couldn't agree with you more. And I think, you know, when you look at the money that's invested in the top end on, on some of those players and, yeah, it there, there's no parity for the lower league clubs. Um, now, your club didn't do so well either. I mean, is that the Leeds factor? Are Leeds the real deal or is it just um, a weird weekend? I think Leeds are the real deal. Um, you know, that that was – they took it to Liverpool and, and, and got close. They then – 
who they played Fulham. They played next. Yep. Or they, play, they played Fulham and West Brom, isn't it? And they beat them both. Yep. And then um, really took it to Man City. So, yeah, uh, I think um, Leeds should hopefully be a comfortable mid-table side this season. Mm. And City have a lot of questions to ask. This is the first time ever that Pep has stayed at a club for five seasons. Um, well, this will be his fifth season. So um, maybe burnout is kicking in and the law of diminishing returns is well and truly underway. Um, yep. We'll see. But yeah, but there's definitely... <laughs> defensively, City have always been problematic and that has been amplified this season so far. So I think there's definitely going to be some questions asked about, yeah, about that. And you can keep... You can keep signing expensive defenders, but if you play in a system that, that isolates them and leaves them exposed, then that's just not going to fix the problem. No. Mm. no and things don't get any easier because then you've got Arsenal coming up next and, and Arsenal seem to be seems to have fixed their woes of the last couple of seasons. Yeah, Arteta has done a really good job. They, they, they look like a team that actually has a sense of, oh, this is how we want to play football. You mm. know, before with Emery, there was just... It just as if there was no sort of understanding of like what they wanted to do on the pitch. They didn't, they didn't seem like there was they no knew. clear plan. Whereas now, yeah. yeah, now there's a clear plan. And then um, signing Tom's party as well um, has been a really good pickup for them. That allowed some sort of defensive solidity, some steel into the spine of, of the team, which will help them going forward. Yeah. And um, Everton seems to be going all right, but um, yeah, Jordan Pickford is still error prone. Yeah, Jordan is phenomenally error-prone. It's, it's bizarre and bad time to make a mistake, actually, as well, with the international break coming up or underway as we speak. Yeah. Uh, but they've signed Robin Olsen on loan from Roma, so he will hopefully give some um, competition to Jordan Pickford. But what I would worry about with Jordan Pickford, because this is my theory about Joe Hart as well, was Joe Hart had about three years in a row where he was undisputed number one for Man City and for England with no competition. Mm. And that before he went into that set of period, he was a world-class goalkeeper. He came out the other end looking a bit like a broken man. And so, you know, I'm, I worry that Jordan Pickford, spends, if he spends long enough at Everton without much of a backup, will that happen to him? Will he lose a bit of an edge due to that lack of competition? But now they've brought Robert Olsen in. Yeah, we'll see how we go. But Everton have looked really sharp this season. They've looked very, very good. I'd like to see them do that against a good team. I mean, I know they, I know they um, bossed Tottenham week one, but that was Tottenham looked bizarrely under, underwhelming in that game compared to what they've performed in, in, in later weeks. And so I'd like to see Everton against, yeah, a more solid team. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, it's, it's certainly an interesting um, season. So you, you think that City and Liverpool will still be the two sitting at the top of the tree at the end of the season? Liverpool, yeah, Liverpool definitely. Um, I will, I'm, I'm not as confident anymore about saying City will be there. Although I think, I think Pep will sort it out and they will still be up there. Uh, but the, the rest of it, I just, yeah, I couldn't pick it at the moment. Tottenham look like they're performing as, as, as though they, they might get that spot. Um, Chelsea just haven't managed to resolve this vulnerability to the counterattack. They are just, yeah, okay. it's a little bit like City. To be fair, with City has got this. I mean, I've brought this up before on the on the radio show yeah. where um, they build the Death Star and it's got this, you know this one gaping <laughs> floor and then they rebuild it with the same yeah. floor and they just don't fix it and that's a bit like City where they keep building this indestructible attacking team but if you can get at the centre backs then suddenly they're exposed and Chelsea seem to be going down the same path. 
Yeah, no, but they've spent a lot of money and they still really haven't got themselves a decent centre-back. And I know they, they were looking to buy Rice as a centre-back, um, which in itself is, I don't know, I know he was a centre-back um, and he will probably end up being a centre-back at some stage. But right now he's actually a good defensive midfielder. Yeah, but I mean, that's not an uncommon thing. You know, Marcelo Bielsa was famous for getting midfielders and just moving them into centre-back because he liked um, having ball-playing players at centre-back. Yeah. So I can see why they would want to get Declan Rice into centre-back. But yeah, well, I just think they fixed the goalkeeping issue, Chelsea, which is interesting. Um, I wonder how. I wonder if Chilwell is getting onto Duolingo to learn French because I know that um, the last couple of games it's been a, a French-speaking backline and it's been uh, French spoken on the pitch in, in, when they're defending because Thiago Silva spent five or six years in Paris. Uh, Kurt Zuma is French. Mendy is French. And um, Afbilaquara came from Marseille. So, you know, he speaks French as well. And so I think um, they apparently Afbilaquara said, yeah, that we were communicating French in, in the back line on the pitch, uh, which, which yeah, has shades of Vincent Company, who was um, would, would speak in about four different languages on the pitch, depending on who he's speaking to at any one time. So I wonder if Chilwell is getting on the old Duolingo to learn to learn a bit of French to, to keep up with that back line. That's a lot to be thinking when you're a centre-back, isn't it? I mean, I'm not normally the brightest of people, but... <laughs> try to select what language, try to remember what language the person speaks. It's hard enough trying to remember something that the referee doesn't understand, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, but look, yeah, so like you say, Chelsea just have... They, they haven't deemed to have done any form of defensive solidity because um, Chilwell, again, is pretty defensively um, suspect and Thiago Silva, you know... If you're 36, you're not going to be defending counterattacks. At, 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 you know, as well, that's not going to be well, not solution, more, so. not more than one or two, anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> not after the first 15 minutes. So, so at the bottom end of the table, um, we've got Burnley, Sheffield, and Fulham. Do you see them having long, tedious seasons? Uh, I think Fulham are still going to get relegated, as I um, yeah. predicted. I think West Brom still might go down. I know they managed to pick up a draw against Chelsea, but outside of that game, they looked, um, yeah, pretty, yeah, lacking any real spark, any yeah. real defensive solidity or any real attacking um, spark. So I think they will go as well. I think Burnley will get it figured out, although Shorten Dyche has been having a pretty uh, public spat with, with the owner um, yeah. lately over, 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 over incoming players. So, uh, you know, I think they'll they'll eventually figure it out. And Sheffield, I don't think Sheffield will go down, but I think they will be in that sort of danger zone. They're definitely going to be dropping a lot of spots in the ladder base from last season. You know, you don't often finish 7th or 8th, wherever it was, yeah. scoring 38, 38 goals and having that as a sustainable practice. Mm. You know, that yeah. was always going to, they're always going to find, find, find themselves, get found out. And then, um, and then we'll you've got the well. both clubs from Manchester are sitting in the bottom seven. You don't see that too often. Yeah, no, but it is only four games. Or they, they, they only played three games, so I, I suspect that will be remedied before too long. Uh, not if they're playing Newcastle, it won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are. Maybe not. Maybe not for United, but City. I, 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 <laughs> no, I think normal service will be on. resumed at City. Very, very. I mean, well, you say that you got Arsenal next, so it could be still desperate stakes. And I think you know. The expectations of those clubs, even three or four games into the season, is that they're in the top half of the table and not in the bottom half. Yeah, no, absolutely. But um, you know, within within the next, if they're still down that way, having played seven or eight, then I think yeah, the, the you know, red flags will start going up. Yeah. Um, 
in, in both boardrooms. But I, I don't expect, having played eight or nine games, them still to be um, down in that position. I expect them both to just be fighting for the top four and, and the title within that time. Yeah. But that yeah. is, I think one thing is going to be about this season and, and the main themes this season, because they're trying to fit so many games in such a short space of time, the teams not in European places like Everton yeah. will be um, disproportionately benefited from that. Oh, also, yeah. you're going to get a lot more suspect results or surprise results because you don't have as much time in the training field. No, and then with these international fixtures going on, I know the, the UEFA Nations League is going on at the moment. Um, you've got players that are leaving your club, going to national duty, risking injury, um, risking fatigue, and then they come back and you haven't trained with them and they're going to walk into a game next Saturday where they've not been training with their group and they've been doing maybe different tactical um, work during the week. So it's, it's going to be a very interesting season. I, yeah, I just can't understand for life me why UEFA persisted with this many international breaks this season. But surely common sense should have prevailed and they go, right, okay, let's, it's going to be tight enough as yeah. it is. There's going to be enough strain as it is on players. Let's just have a few few fewer breaks, maybe give the, the Nations League a rest for a season. Um, and then and, and then run it again next year. And then on top of that, you've also got COVID running rampant in the UK again, and could could all be in lockdown and ceased before Christmas. Yeah, well, I mean, it's worrying at, at, at Liverpool where they've got um, Shakiri's tested positive now. I think someone else tested positive. Mane's positive. Yeah. Um, over in Italy, Genoa, um, the whole team tested positive. There was yep. about twenty players. Yep. So um, and then Napoli, yeah, Napoli were meant to, were meant to play Juventus and called that off because. They just played Genoa, who had a whole team. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Look, Derek, it's been great talking to you. We'll keep on catching up with you as long as there's football in Europe to, to report on. Um, and hopefully that they, Britain doesn't get end up in a lockdown and, and close the game down. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. He's actually having a good season in Scotland this season. Let's hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, mate. Take care. Brilliant. Thanks very much. Cheers. <laughs> Derek Pollock with his take on the um, EPL yeah. and very interesting times. It is too. Yeah. As you say, both the Manchester United, uh, sorry, Manchester teams down the bottom of the table, bottom half of the table, bottom sevens, unusual. Yeah, definitely. And and then as we were talking about the money, I mean, we've got a number of clubs at the bottom end of the table um, who are struggling badly for money. And then you've got you know, players that are sitting on benches and not being played for more than half a dozen games, but still picking up a hundred grand a week. Yeah, that the money would be better off invested in those lower league clubs and providing players that were fit. Well, the trick is trying to convince the people that have the money that that's where it should go. Yeah, I know, yeah. I know. And then the, yeah, look, it's it's just, some of the money is just obscene. Um, <laughs> but you know, the who's paying for it? There's no one at the grounds. Yeah, no, exactly. Welcome to rich owners. Yeah, yeah, who may not be rich for very long, but we'll see how that goes. All righty. Um, we're going to go to some messages. We're back after this with Phil Kelly from the State League Standing Committee. They can say what they want now. West Coast Futsal Association has social competitions at Hollywood Futsal Club in West Perth and the Mount Lawley Futsal Club. Competitions are open for new players looking for a kick around with mates from Monday to Friday. For those looking at high level futsal, there is the Junior Leagues in Karanjak on weekends and the male and female Super Liga competitions based in Subiaco. For more information, 
contact Brittany on 0481 88 1343. The World Football Programme is a community programme run by volunteers. Just like our host station, Radio Fremantle, applies for government grants and sponsorships from year to year to keep us on air. Your support by way of station membership or donation is greatly valued. Contact Radio Fremantle weekdays 94942100 for information on how to become a member or to donate to the station. Thanks for your support. Radio Fremantle, 107.9 FM. All right, we've got our next guest joins us very much. We're going to start off by saying um, happy birthday to him because he's, he's actually, if you add up the, the, the day, the month, and the last two digits of the year, it tells you how old he is as well. So <laughs> good morning, Phil. How are you? Good morning, Phil. How are you? Good morning. How are you? That's a little better. How are you going? Yeah, good. Um, <laughs> Happy birthday. Thank you very much. Um, big numbers? Just 40. Yeah, well. <laughs> which I think, which is about halfway, isn't it? Yeah, apparently so. I'd like to yeah. hope so. <laughs> <laughs> At least. Um, spoke earlier on with Ryan Lennigan, who is the club's um, part- and participation manager for Football West. Um, I believe he attended your State League um yeah, State League. Yeah, Ryan, Ryan and I have uh, spoke extensively, actually, about, um, I guess, some unique issues that are facing State League clubs, and um, it looks quite positive. I mean, he's only been in the role three weeks, but um, certainly uh, his enthusiasm um, and, and positivity is actually quite, quite, quite nice and quite good to see. Um, and look, I think that um, there's certainly going to be some positivity, um, particularly around. Uh, club engagement and um, particularly around the state league standing committees and that process as well. So it's a very promising outlook for us and probably very timely with some of the challenges that we face at the moment too. So what are some of those challenges? Well, look, I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, the um, obviously the, the, the challenge the whole world is facing at the moment is one that we can't really ignore. Mm-hmm. Um, whilst here in WA, we're probably... You know, two million very fortunate people. Let's be honest. Mm. Um, but um, you know, we can't ignore what is going on, and it would be silly to think that there won't be impact on us um, as uh, from clubs and as a competition and as a game. Um, there's certainly far-reaching consequences from a financial perspective, um, and governments are spending a lot of money as well, which means at some point um, that revenue will dry up as well. Um, so it's going to be. A pretty challenging time for the next few years, I think, for pretty much everything in, in sport, um, and clubs won't be, uh, I guess, won't be excluded from that. No, but a lot of that government money is around construction and construction projects, and and it'd be nice if some of those things went into things such as lighting or improved facilities, particularly for things like change rooms for female participants, because most of those older clubs have change rooms that were built in the seventies that uh, probably don't even have a pan in them, or if they do, they've only got the one. Yeah, that's good. and it's very true. And look, and look, we certainly hope that there will be additional funding um, in the game for infrastructure. But um, obviously, the infrastructure is great. We still need the people to participate in the sport. We need people to run and administer it, and we need volunteers to be 
um, attending down at clubs as well, and, and then obviously people coming in and engaging in, in clubs, and that's probably the most important thing. Um, what we need really is that level of community engagement, and let's be honest, it's something that's very difficult to do during a global pandemic. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Now, if you if you listen to the, what's been said on the internet, um, the State League and, and most standing committees have been referred to as toothless tigers um, that are, are filled with people that are, are self-centred and self-serving. Um, how do you react to that? Yeah, look, I, I, I see the I see that view, and um, I've I've certainly experienced that myself. We're very fortunate uh, in the in the state league that we do have a group of uh, or a committee of people that are very very focused on what's good for the game, and not what's just good for their club, but what's good for twenty four state league clubs as well. And that's really really important. One of the things that we discussed on Monday. Um, that we're hoping to do, well, we're not hoping to, we will definitely do it next month, is to actually bring all of the state league clubs into a room and have a, I guess, a a conference of some description and actually talk about maybe a bit of a state of the union, that sort of thing, um, yep. just to see where we're at, what we need, um, and to hear directly from clubs what it is they want from us as well. So that's our probably our number one focus, our immediate focus, probably a timely thing to do yep. as well so we can understand what's happening out there in, in clubland as well. Mm. Look, I understand it from a, a club perspective that you, you're protective of your club and, and what your club needs and requires, but sometimes, um, you know, you've, you've got to be a little bit brave and just allow some of those other clubs to, to gain gain some yards on you. Um, and I think, you know, we look at things like promotion relegation has been around for a long time, Um when I was playing in twelve league teams or twelve yeah twelve team leagues, the the standard is two up, two down, yeah. and that that stops when you get to the MPL because you've got um, one one up maybe um, and one down maybe, and there's you know there seems to be an element of protectionism around that, um, and and would you like to see that opened up across two well, up, we two do. down? We'll, we'll make no, we'll make uh, absolutely. And no apologies for the fact that we want two up, two down mm. throughout all competition. Um, and look, we think it's good for the game. Um, it will encourage um, better competition. It will encourage um, better development. Um, it will put pressure on people to actually grow the game and to be to be good at it. And we think it's a positive for the game. And we will continue to push that tart yeah. until we're blue in the face. Um, it's what we think it will be good for football. It will be good for WA football. And um, that's what we're always going to be fighting for. It'll always be number one on our list of, I say, demands. But um, yeah. you know, what we want to change in the game, it'll always be that way. But I suppose the thing is, if you've got the, the junior state league standing committee going, yeah, you know what, that's that's how it should be. And the amateur state uh, standing committee saying, yeah, that's how it should be. And the women's standing committee going, yeah, that's how it should be. Very hard for one particular standing committee, which may or may not yeah. be in... in in, enshrined in the Constitution to say, well, no, we don't like it. Well, probably true. And I guess the other thing is you put it to a vote of the MPL president, you've got 12 votes, four or five of which that um, probably aren't too bothered. Um, It'll never affect not really them. <laughs> not particularly concerned about relegation. And then six or seven that, you know, it's a possibility. So you can see how that vote always turns out, right? Mm. Um, and that's part of our problem. So... 
Uh, but but they, have invest, they have invested heavily and they've invested a lot of money. Yeah, but everyone has and everyone does. Um, I mean, there's community junior clubs out there that are investing massive amounts of money in the game. As Ask well. Kingsway Olympic how much they have and how much they will. Uh, absolutely right. Yeah. And there's, a, there's plenty of examples around the state of significant funding. I mean, the other thing we tend to ignore a lot is our regions as well. And it's mm-hmm. something that we've discussed extensively at the State League Standing Committee is we want to open up our, our game, particularly the State League, to, to the regional centres as well. So I'd love to see a team from Albany, Geraldton, Kalgoorlie, uh, in the State League. It's something that we've been talking about extensively. Um, we want to open it up. Yeah. One of the other areas that we want to explore as well. But I suppose, look, from those issues, from those areas, and you look at what happened with Bunbury, um, it's going to have to be a, a composite side that's made up from all of the teams in those areas. Um, some of them, I know down in, in Albany, um, you've got Rovers and Caledonian who are at each other's throats, um, and getting yeah. one of them to agree that they're one of them or another entity is going to borrow players from both entities. I don't know. That's yeah, always going to be the problem. To work, that's what it would need. It would need yeah. the full support of all of the member clubs, I guess, in that federation, um, yep. for one of yep. a better term. And, um, yeah, look, and for, for a lot of, um, it probably would be a representative side. And that's um, And I think that's how Albany did it previously. It was a, an Albany representative side that was run by the, the Soccer Federation in Albany. So there was no one club. It was all of the clubs in the that made up the uh, the committee for the federation, and it was then drawn from all of those those different clubs across that that town. And I think that's the only way it can work. And I know uh, the the problem at Bunbury is that um, you've got one club that sees themselves as a premium club, and you've got other people who disagree, and that's that's going to be a problem. Always will be, yeah. You know, it always would be, and look and. I guess, you know, thinking about potential structures, um, each of the member clubs would have to have a stake in the in the state league club for it to be successful. Or you you will end up with these political issues, unfortunately. And look, we know that there there are kids from the regions who certainly um, can rise to the highest level. We we've got um, Tash Rigby for, from the from the women and. Um, we, uh, Josh, Josh Wisdom from Bunbury, yeah. From so, yep. but it would be nice to see someone from Eastern Goldfields or from, uh, Geraldton come and be on that same trajectory. And why should those kids be denied that development pathway? Absolutely. And look, it's, it's what we, uh, this is, a, this is the pie in the sky stuff that we really would like to do. And, you know, it's, it's yep. up there with two up, two down, um, having, having regional representation in the state league and, of course, the NPL. And, you know, we're not really separate competitions, although we are, um, but um, we don't see it that way. We like to, you know, we all but, understand. But the NPL is a brand. All that, all the NPL is, is a brand. It's not anything else. It's just a, exactly. yeah. a label yeah, that's exactly. stuck on a jar. Um, yep. Lots of talk in the national press. Uh, Graham Arnold talking about the numbers of uh, younger players who are not getting exposure at the higher levels. If you look through the state leagues, um, you know, there's a lot of older players. We've got teams playing goalkeepers in their 40s. We've got other teams playing players in their 30s. Um, and then we've got teams that can't field 18s. Are we looking at probably doing um, maybe a first team unrestricted with uh, a reserve league up to 24 and then the 18s maybe play on a Sunday but could augment both teams? 
Uh, potentially, yeah. And look, and these, and this is all, I guess, some of the challenges that we have in the state league at the moment. Yeah. There is a distinctive um, look. The, the view is there's a lack of quality um, in certain age groups, and we struggle to field sides, particularly in the 18s and that sort of thing. And we, it's, it's something that's always discussed every year. We've really, you know, no one's really ever come up with a, a good solution to solve the problem. Um, but it, yeah, these are things that we also discuss, and we need to really think about. Um, as a game, about how we can do these better. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think, you know, you, you look at some of the teams, I think Mum was saying last night in their um, their Reserve Cup final, they had um, under-18s playing in their reserve side, some of the kids in that were 16, um, which is, is great, you know, and I think that, that this year was the, was the year for clubs to, to give that a go. Well, for, certainly was. I know we, we certainly did at our club and... Um, Look, we um, we certainly didn't have a successful season on the park um, by any stretch of the imagination. But I'm really excited about what these these kids that we have playing for us can achieve over the next few years if we can keep them all playing together. Um, and you know, there's obviously going to be significant benefits if we can achieve that and we can do it. Um, we've got to be very excited to see how they'll look in five or six years' time. Yeah, I suppose, look, it's all about how you measure success. Yes, if, you, if you're looking at purely the table for success and depending what table you look at, because one makes you 10th um, and the other one puts you at 12th, but um, the the success is that you've you've got through a season, you've won games with 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds in key positions for all the season. Um, next year, those players are going to be 17, 18, 19 and 20 and the year after a year older, whereas a team that's played a 35-year-old this year in three years will be playing a 38-year-old. Um, I don't know if that's, you know, yeah. Well, look, I mean, the thing is, I mean, clubs can, I guess... Um they, they can make themselves up as they wish. They'll always be 38-year-olds want to play state league. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's a great thing, right, as well. Um, and we're fortunate that there are some clubs willing to take the risk and, um, I guess, blood some young young players through the system as well, which um, which gives them the opportunity then to progress and move on as well. So it, like, it, all, it takes different different strokes, doesn't it, to, mm. uh, you know, for each, for each club to, I guess, contribute in different ways. So... So what um, other strategies... I, would, I certainly wouldn't want to go down the path of forcing people to do these things or, you know, restricting players from playing at certain ages and that sort of thing. No, this is why I say with the State League, if you've got an open first team and then the yep. instead of reserves, have 24s because you, you allow for that development phase up to 24. Um, and then if you've got, you know, a couple of older players in there and there would have to be a limit on how many you you allow to play in the 24s, you can then develop kids in in a much better way because you can run anyone from 16 to 24 in that league. Yeah. Okay, and there's, there's plenty of structures. I just, I, I, I think we try and overthink development sometimes. Yeah. Um, we, we, we become far too uh, technical with it all. And, look, you just want your best 11 playing on the park. Um, you don't want to be sitting there working out, you know, like he can't play because he's 34. Yeah. 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 Um, do, you, do you know what I mean? And you know, I, I personally can't stand the player point system that we're seeing in the NPL around the various leagues around the country. Yeah, um, and I'm and I see it being brought in into other sports locally as well. But it, and, but it works against the youth as well because what will happen is you get a gifted seventeen year old who's put into that squad purely so that he can track down the numbers. <laughs> exactly, but the real reason the player point systems are brought in 
are to um, prevent player movement. Right? Yeah. And that's really the only reason that hasn't worked. They've been brought in into um, the Perth Footy League, for example, recently yep. as well, for exactly the same reason. And um, it does nothing to prevent that. Players will move irrespective, and clubs will just work around the system or make it work and not put their best 11 out just so they could play that one player that they brought in. So given the criticism around uh, zone reps and the standing committees, would, would you see any restructuring? Do you think we just need to rebrand and remodel what we already have and, and make it more effective? Yeah, well, I've been on record of saying this before numerous times. The um, the process that we have is actually pretty sound. What we've got is we've got too much or too many clubs in particular, too many people engaged in the game that are just prepared to just let things happen how they happen yeah. and then complain about them later. Yeah. yeah. If, if clubs themselves and pull their finger out and actually engage in the process of the zone reps and the standing committee, much more will be achieved in the game. But if you ignore it, sit back, wait until you can jump on social media at some stage in a year or two and complain about the process, nothing will ever get achieved. Yeah, and, I mean, you've been a zone rep. You, you know what zone reps are there for. Do you, do you think that there's there's not enough governance around them or not enough direction around them, or, or what's the Look, problem? There's, there's certainly um, some gaps in things like, I mean, Zone reps not being given terms of reference, specific instructions, um, I guess meeting mandatory meeting requirements and that sort of thing. And actually maybe, you know, a little bit more communication being forced upon some of these zone reps and the standing committees as well about what their their role is and what the expectation of that is. Now, that's not in Football West's best interest, to be honest. No. Um, and that's not a criticism of Football West. To be honest, if I was running Football West, I'd be quite happy running the game how I saw fit too. Mm. The zone reps and the standing committees are there merely to keep Football West accountable and informed. And um, it's up to the clubs and the participants and the members of the game to make sure the right people are sitting in the zone rep and standing committee chairs. Yeah, but the zone the zone reps are also supposed to keep the clubs informed and, and be that um, conduit between the clubs and Football West. And as I said, I haven't seen it happen in a long time. Um, yeah, well, if you've got if you've got a good right? zone rep, <laughs> it, it does happen occasionally. I mean, yeah. you look at it from the state league standing committee's perspective. Look, we're looking at bringing in um, all the state league clubs um, in the next four to six weeks. Yeah. Um, problem is, not all the state league clubs will turn up, right? Mm. Yeah, and um, invariably these will be the ones that will complain that the state league standing committee doesn't listen, and um, you know doesn't doesn't do what they want it to do, and mm. probably because you haven't engaged in the process. So, but then I suppose gonna... in, in your communications with them, it will be uh, we know that you did not attend this meeting. The following decisions had been made, um, and is there an avenue then for them to go? Oh no, we don't agree with that, um, and if they're still in the minority. That they at least informed that you had the chance to stand up and state your piece. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, we can only we can only you know build it and hope that they will come. Um, that's certainly our case. I mean, I can guarantee you right now, the the members of the state league standing committee put quite a bit of pressure on me um, to communicate and to uh, make sure that we are the voice of twenty four state league clubs. It's the yeah. one thing that gets mentioned at every meeting. Um, that they're very conscious that they're making. You know, there's ten people that sit on the on the board. Um, we've got one vacancy at the moment, um, and we're only representative of ten clubs. Now, 
they're all very conscious of that, and it's something that we want to do, and we want to make sure that we do better. So um, we will be doing that over the next few weeks. And do you think uh, a president of a club should be on the standing committee, or do you think it should be another person who maybe um, like a GM or whatever that is able to make decisions on behalf of their club but without well, being running a club? Well, it needs, it needs to be the most appropriate person that can keep their club card in the top pocket. Yeah. Put their, you know, for the good of the game card out on the table and act appropriately and contribute meaningfully to the discussion. Um, whoever that person is, that whether that's the person that marks the line or the president, doesn't matter. Um, but it needs to be the most appropriate person that can contribute to the good of the other 24 state league clubs, whoever that person is. All right, and as a, a chair of a state league standing committee, what's your biggest moan? What's yeah. your the... I, my biggest moan? To be honest with you, is probably um, the, the like I said before is the is the lack of engagement and then complaining about um, about outcomes later on. Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, and um, look, I think because there is a very open and transparent process, and if you involve yourself in it, yeah, and actually embrace it and um, See it through, you'll you'll understand that. So rather than jumping on social media yeah. and being a keyboard warrior, jump up and make people accountable, including me as well. Yeah, as uh, the state league chair, whilst I whilst I hold that position. And is there anything in dealing with football West that really grinds your gears? Ah, uh, look, it's <laughs> that's the, you, know, you really got me on that one, haven't you? Um, <laughs> look again, it's back to anything, right? And I could associate this with with work. I could associate this with family and friends. It comes back to one thing. And that's communication. Yep. Yeah. And um, look, communication needs to improve in most of our relationships, right? Yeah. And it was certainly certainly the case with Football West. So as the well. wife keeps They've telling had me. A tough year. <laughs> They've had a tough year. Yep. We've all had a tough year, and um, we all need to communicate a bit better. So absolutely, um, we do. Yeah, so that's um, probably my biggest one. No worries. Well, Phil, enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you very much for being on. I uh, do appreciate the work you do through the, the State League Standing Committee. And, um, you know, I know the people on that board are working in the, the best interests of football. Um, so more power to you and the guys that are doing that. Thank you very much. No problem at all. My pleasure, guys. Come on any time. Thank you. Cheers, mate. See Thanks. Cheers, mate. All right, Pete, that's the end of the show. Um, we've oh, covered no. all the finals. We did, did we mention the women's yeah. final? Uh, no, I haven't mentioned the women's final, but I actually couldn't find them on the, uh, the website. That's on tomorrow so as well. It's, it's on, on Sunday, then. yes. I think it's on before the NPL men's final. Oh. Um, yeah. You're following the old don't ask a question unless you already know the answer. That's the um, only way I roll, yeah. mate. Um, <laughs> now, for those who, who are in the know, and we're just about to wrap up the show, a um, couple of big things happening on the 25th of, this, uh, of October. Of October, yes. There is a charity game between Glory Legends, and from the poster it looks like we're talking men and women, yep. um, against the doctors from the Children's Hospital. Um, that's right. So that's at Dorian Gardens. Uh, Dorian please. 2.30 Two, kickoff, gold, yep. coin, gold coin donation, and all the money is going to... Uh, PCH and telethons. Absolutely. So get behind that. If you have anybody who is um, a handy person with their hands and can um, weld gates and fences, Penny's looking for someone. <laughs> so no, no, we want to work yep. for a decent boss. Yep. Um, and you, you, you are involved in football. I know she'd rather give it to a football person than anybody else. So have a look. Um, yep. If it bites your interest, please do get it. Penny's away at uh, Bunbury 
with the carnival there. So um, good luck to whoever she's doing and yeah. the girls down there. Um, and look for us, football is um, at this stage of the season wrapping up, which means that for the rest of us out there, we're still building for next I, I, season. I, I, probably worth mentioning, just chuck in quickly, yeah. the uh, South American World Cup qualifiers have kicked off as well. I chucked a couple of links oh, yeah. up on the Facebook group. Brazil and um, Bolivia? Brazil and Bolivia finished 5-0. It finished just uh, about an hour ago. So Brazil looks like a normal service re- return for them. Yep. Um, Colombia 3-0 over Venezuela. Argentina 1-0 thanks to a Messi pen- penalty. Uh, that is a, a, a penalty by Messi, not a Messi Oh, penalty. okay. Yeah, yep. yeah. And uh, Uruguay 2-1 over Chile. All and right. Paraguay and Peru 2 all. Thank you, Pete. All right, we'll be back in a fortnight. Penny will be back next week. Um, Lenny is in here for the jazz show after us. Uh, thank you for listening. This has been the World Football Program. I'm Sean Kelly. See you in a fortnight. Join us again next week at the same time for the World Football Program on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM.